0: Episode 397, Shadow and Substance Part 3, a Rod Serling Twilight Zone Christmas Quartet featuring the episodes Night of the Meek, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, and Changing of the Guard, plus Rod Serling's A Carol for Another Christmas. everyone it's me Ben Ben Avery and welcome to another episode of strangers and aliens and this is part of our little sub series that we've been doing you know twice now already <laughs> uh shadow and substance where we take a look at some twilight zone episodes it's coming close to christmas it's very cold outside and we just recorded a christmas carol episode where we talked about many different versions of a Christmas Carol, and that is the reason why I'm doing this episode right now. I'm all by myself. Steve and Evan couldn't record with me because I decided to do this very quickly and just decided I, I want to do this. And so they, you know, they're both doing Christmas stuff, you know, they're on vacation and everything. And so it's me alone talking about a few different episodes of twilight zone that have to do with christmas but the main event the main thing i wanted to talk about was the made for tv movie a carol for another christmas which we talked about in our christmas carol episode and so this is kind of a follow-up to that episode i was very intrigued to find out about what was that tv movie well here's the deal not too long after that, like the next day, it might have even been that night. I don't know. But I happen to be looking for different versions of A Christmas Carol to see where you could find them. And on HBO Max, they have Rod Serling's A Carol for Another Christmas, which is great because there was a DVD that is available for that TV movie. It only aired once on TV the reviews for that dvd are horrible they say this terrible terrible sound quality and the video quality isn't that great but the the sound and video syncing is off and they said it's like watching a foreign movie where you know you're you got the subtitles going and that kind of thing but anyway I decided I really wanted to talk about that movie and I thought this would be a great way to just talk about some of the classic, classic Twilight Zone episodes and one not so classic Twilight Zone episode that go along with Christmas. And so we have a quartet of Christmas Twilight Zone episodes and these are classics for a reason. One of these episodes might even be considered the best Twilight Zone episode ever ever unfortunately it's the first one we're going to talk about because it's the first one that aired it is night of the meek which first aired in december december 23rd in 1960 this is an old old show uh it was written by rod serling all of the things we're going to talk about here for this episode were written by rod serling and i am keeping out the the 1980s revival where they did i believe they did a re a redo of this script and i'm not sure what it was like i it was also in the same episode as the adaptation of arthur c Clarke's the star which i have i remembered seeing and you can actually catch that on youtube you can find it there um It's interesting because it is a science fiction story about people in the future traveling interstellar distances and they go and find a place where a civilization was wiped out by a star that went supernova or maybe just regular nova. I can't remember at this point, but um, the star exploded and ruined and destroyed their civilization. And there's only some recordings left on a distant planet that wasn't touched by the explosion. And that's where humans find this. And there happens to be a priest on board who's also a scientist. And they do some tests and they find out that based on when that star would have gone and exploded and destroyed the civilization they were able to date it and based on the location of the star based on the time that this happened and based on the speed of light that star would have been seen from earth at christmas time when jesus was born and would have heralded his, his birth and so it becomes a crisis of faith for this character uh it ends a little bit different than the Arthur C Clarke short story but it actually I think incorporates some ideas that I can't remember the the author's name but there was a woman who wrote a follow-up story to the star and it, anyway the themes that they deal with in that episode they they are they actually kind of I think steal from her uh it's been a while I think it was last summer that I started reading I read the star and then read the follow-up and then um rewatch the the that clip from from that episode i'm not talking about the 80s revival i would like to i'd like to see it it's not available anywhere very conveniently there is dvd sets that you can get that are a little bit expensive but i'm i'm not planning to do that anytime soon <laughs> i like getting that kind of stuff but sometimes i take a look at it and i'm like oh it's that's too rich even for my blood as far as like getting the weird stuff so Anyway, Night of the Meek, nineteen sixty, uh, written by Rod Serling, and it stars Art Carney from The Honeymooners, and he plays a character named Henry Corwin, who is a department store Santa, and he's also a drunk, and he just he just looks around and sees you know it's Christmas time, and he sees these people, these kids who want you know to believe in something bigger than them, to believe in Santa, but he's a drunk. And so he's causing problems for the department store and he's not going to be able to, to do that job much longer, but he does. And this is where the twist comes. Uh, he finds a, a a bag that gives people their, their heart's desire. And so he actually gets to become Santa Claus. And then of course there's a whole nother twist at the end of the episode. And I, I don't want to get too much into the twist, but what I love about this episode is the way it gets into that idea of the christmas spirit but also the idea of the yes virginia there is a santa claus and about you know becoming the the giver you know and this is that's his one thing is he he doesn't want to accumulate wealth and he doesn't want to you know, get out of poverty himself, he really does want to give and he wants to give to the children who live, you know, in that neighborhood. And he wants to give to the other people who are in similar situation to his own. And it's a beautiful story. And it is just a wonderful, a wonderful presentation of the spirit of the season and as we talked about in in the christmas carol episode and as i talked about in my youtube video about a christmas carol where i'm like you know scrooge endeavored to carry that christmas spirit all the time you know that's we we want to not just you know have the spirit of christmas have the spirit of goodwill to all men and peace and and joy Uh, that's not just a christmas time thing for us but this is about a guy who just wants to do good and wants to do right. And he's doing a terrible job of it <laughs> and he gets a chance. He gets a chance and he takes a chance. And then there's a twist at the end that in some ways for me. <sighs> weakens the story a little bit when you get to that very end moment that I don't want to spoil for you. I do recommend this is on uh, Paramount plus. I I believe you have to rent it now on Amazon prime. I'm not sure if, if uh, Twilight Zone is on Hulu I just know that I've been watching it on Paramount Plus lately and they have all the episodes there for the original series uh and this is one of them it's season 2 uh I can't remember which episode number it is but yeah they they shot it on videotape that's one thing that's very noticeable when you watch it if you're familiar with watching black and white TV shows you can kind of tell when they shot on film and when they've shot on video and this was definitely shot on on video and they built the set for the neighborhood and they covered it in snow and you know it's all very christmassy but uh another thing i really liked though is this kind of thing happening in the middle where he gets arrested for having this bag because there's no way he would have enough money to do this and they actually think that he's stolen all this merchandise that's coming out of the bag from his department store and they bring in the department store uh, manager and it's it's just this this moment where it's just kind of funny because he's like able to get things out of the bag that don't come from the department store and so yeah and and then he his wish for himself is that he could do it every year and i'm not going to talk about the the big twist at the end but you might be able to figure it out before they get there uh rod sterling then ends with the The narration where he says a word to the wise, to all the children of the 20th century, whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics, whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers or crawl with a cane and comb their beards. There's a wondrous magic to Christmas and there's a special power reserved for little people. In the short, there's nothing mightier than the meek and a Merry Christmas to each and all. And that's also kind of maybe I guess the weak connection for this episode or the meek connection, I don't know, but where you have this this man, Art Carney's character who he's meek and he inherits the earth. And he inherits it by being able to give to other people and take care of other people and it is a heartwarming wonderful christmas episode they obviously shot it to be released at christmas time i was reading some background stuff about it in my the twilight zone companion a second edition that i have and uh it was filmed i believe yeah three weeks before christmas or not filmed taped because it was on videotape. Um, but the crew had fun filming it. And according to this book, one of the things that they mentioned was they had a lot of fun filming it because there was just a lot of children on the set. And there was just a lot of excitement on the set and they're shooting it in December and getting ready for Christmas themselves. And so, uh, the other interesting thing from the book is that, um, it says here, this isn't to say that night of the meek pleased everybody. One viewer was so enraged at the quote blasphemy of presenting a drunk as Santa Claus that he sent outraged letters to Serling the network and several newspapers. <laughs> so I actually would love to be able to turn up some of those letters to see what they have said, but um, yeah, they were upset about the blasphemy, not of, you know, the true meaning of Christmas, but you know, you got Santa Claus wrong here, man. <laughs> so the next episode, the next Christmas episode from the twilight zone is five characters in search of an exit. So if you have the Twilight Zone DVD, the special DVD that has just the two Christmas episodes, you would get the Night of the Meek and five characters in search of an exit because this episode takes place at Christmas time, which is part of the twist at the end. But really, Christmas doesn't figure in until you get to the end. And when I watched them this year, so I watched the uh, Carol for another Christmas, and then I watched these episodes because I, I was just got in that mood of, of Twilight Zone because of that, that tv movie that i watched when i watched it this time i watched it you know knowing i'm watching a christmas episode this was aired uh in 1961 on december 22nd again written by rod serling and when i watch this I, i every time i watch this actually i think about like what is this episode trying to say and i don't know if i want to get into the twist of this episode because i i want people to experience these things and i know that we're way way past the statute of limitations for spoilers but the twist of this episode just changes the meaning of everything up until that point point. and when you're watching this episode you've got five characters that uh one character wakes up and there's four other people who are already in this place and it's just this stark cylinder that they're in and they can't get out but they can hear bells every once in a while and and so they actually start talking about where are we are we in heaven are we in hell you know it's kind of lost you know are they in purgatory and they're they're asking those questions or is this something different have they been abducted by aliens or actually i can't remember if they say that but that'd be something that i would put in there um they do know, though, that th- this room is round and there are no entrances or exits except there is no ceiling. And so they climb to see if they can get out uh past the those round walls. And there's some really fun character stuff going on. But then there's also some technical stuff going on. This is a one act play. This could be done and performed on a stage Anywhere, The only thing would be the effect of having them like try and climb up out of this thing where you have five of them, you know, stacking up on top of each other, trying to get to that edge, trying to get to that lip, trying to get over the edge to find out where they are. And that would be difficult to do potentially, although you could do it with some sort of simple stage effects, I think. But this could just be a very simple stage play and just these five characters having conversations about life and about who they are. They don't really even know who they are. They can tell from the clues. They have, you know, there's a ballerina, there's a clown, there's a tramp, and there's a bagpipe player. And then there's the major. He's a well, he's an army guy. And the they know about their positions you know the major understands rank and understands the military and the clown knows about jokes and knows his acrobatics but he doesn't remember ever performing and the ballerina knows how to do ballet and is is athletic and the tramp i guess knows how to <laughs> go places and not live anywhere <laughs> whatever um and then you have the bagpipe player who knows how to play the bagpipes they have the skills they have the knowledge the 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 set of knowledge that would come with their character they just don't know who or what they are or where they come from or how they got there or where they even are and so it's a mystery it's an episode that has just that mystery going on it's based on a short story called the depository by marvin petal i'm really curious to read where the short story goes uh, in comparison to what you have here but like I said, this is a one act play that you could do anywhere with just minimal effects. And all you need are five strong actors who are able to uh, have the conflict that happens between them as they're trying to decide, what do we do about this? Do we just accept where we are or do we try and get out? Do we try and figure things out? And do we go for the truth? Do we look for the truth? And so up until the point where they actually get out (laughs) And uh, I shouldn't say they get out, but, you know, up until that point at the end where they kind of figure things out or at least understand or maybe not even understand, but see the truth when the truth is revealed, that everything changes up until that point. It's just this, you know existential crisis that they're having and they're you know it, it's it's you and it's me you know just being birthed into the world and here we are and who are we what are we doing here what's our purpose and 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 who who brought us here is there a creator is there more to life than just this uh physical stuff that we are or like they are you know wondering is there something are we in the afterlife are we in that beyond time that beyond place? And yeah, it's, it's just a really strong episode. It's Rod Searling, I think at some of his best writing and honestly between this and the meek, uh, the night of the meek, these two episodes are some of the best twilight zone has to offer. It really does. And so again, I don't want to talk too much about the twist. I do want to talk a little bit about some of the background from the book that I have where they talk about like this, the cylinder that they were in, they had two sets And uh, one was just the the round room and they couldn't directly light it. And so they had to use indirect lighting to light this round room. But then they also had a a version of the room that's at a 45 degree angle that they shot to look like they were climbing straight up the, the side of this thing. And when they're standing on each other's shoulders, they actually are. I wasn't sure. I thought maybe they were doing a Batman where they were laying vertical, but they were actually, you know, standing on each other's shoulders there were mattresses at the bottom. So if one of them did fall, they would slide down, not fall down. I knew that they weren't uh, at a 90 degree angle going up the wall. You can just tell the way that they're laying there. But anyway, it is very good. You got the major who's just trying to do his thing. And he's very, very, very. Uh, serious and very very well serious compared to the clown who is just you know not taking anything seriously and that's another thing that i love about this is you have these five characters who take on five different world views and they are five very different types of people and so it's just a very very strong episode then you have the twist at the end that i like i said changes everything and suddenly i don't know what it means anymore because it's set at christmas time and you know it does it become a a character study that explores consumerism or is it a character study that explores charity and these people now have a purpose in life eventually because christmas is coming soon and so if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, hopefully I'm able to be vague enough, but still bring up the idea at the end where they do realize, or at least one of the characters realizes what's going on or at least sees it. They may not understand. I, I still don't know exactly. Again, I just don't know what to think. And I don't want to bring up the one frame of reference from pop culture that I that I think of when I, uh, when I saw this episode. Because that gives away that ending, but suddenly they, if not in their own minds, in our minds, they have a purpose, and that purpose is potentially to do someone some good and to you know be a part of someone's Christmas story and to be a part of someone's Christmas charity and and yeah so I don't want to go too far into that, but it just makes me wonder you know what were they trying to say with this and what it says to me in the end, it says, you know, we are here. And and if you're taking things just at the kind of theistic level and taking out the relationship with with God and the relationship with with Christ. Uh, but just kind of talking about things on that surface level of God created the world and God created us and placed us in this world. I I feel like what it's saying is, you know, no matter what else you are here for. Whatever your occupation may be, whatever your uh, temperament might be, you are here for other people as well. You know, you're here to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe I can't, maybe I can't divorce this from the, um, from the Christian worldview, and I, I can't just take it from a theistic worldview here. I, I I can't because it's it's you know God's command to love your neighbor as yourself and to carry the spirit of Christmas with you and and share the spirit of Christmas. With your fellow man, even outside of Christmas, you know, that's again, I keep coming back to that, but you know, at Christmas time, it's kind of nice actually having Christmas come right before new year's, you have this opportunity to kind of jumpstart your new year's resolution to be a better person <laughs> and to jumpstart it with this whole idea of peace on earth, goodwill to men and, and joy to the world and, uh, to, to Be a kind person to the people around you and to love your neighbor as yourself. And and so you have this kind of end of the year, spiritual, emotional pick-me-up with Christmas that kind of pushes into your New Year's resolutions, you know, if you do that kind of thing. But anyway, it's, again, a fantastic, fantastic episode. Now, the third episode I wanted to talk about from the Twilight Zone series itself was called Changing of the Guard. Now, what's interesting about this Christmas episode is that it was released June 1st, 1962. as the second to last episode released of the season. And it was, maybe it was even the last episode. I've been looking through this uh, book here, and it doesn't feel like the episodes, uh, I think that they're presented in the book in uh, an order of production, but I'm not sure. Anyway, June 1st, 1962, The Changing of the Guard comes out. It is a Christmas episode though, make no mistake. And this is an episode that definitely draws from the idea of a Christmas carol. I would also however contend that it might be taking a little bit of inspiration from It's a Wonderful Life. This one original story by Rod Serling. It's not based on any kind of short story and it's all about a a teacher, a professor named Ellis Fowler played by donald pleasance the whole time i was watching the episode in my mind i'm just trying to find figure out who is this guy he looks and sounds so familiar but he's wearing aging makeup and they have they've aged him up and it is really effective now it helps that it's black and white and so you can't necessarily see you know color problems with the the aging but He is a professor who has just been uh, he actually has been teaching for so long that in a recent class, he taught the grandchild of a boy that he had taught when he was younger. And so that's how long he's been around and he loves his job, but he's old. And they are going to let him go. And so when they decide to let him go, he doesn't see the letter that warns him that's about to happen. And so when the headmaster comes to him and says, we're going to let you go, he's uh, blindsided by this. And he's depressed by this. In fact, he's so depressed that he plans to commit suicide. Here's the thing about this episode. I got emotional watching this episode. I had never seen this before. Now, Twilight Zone is a show that I've seen many, 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 many episodes, seen so many episodes that it's hard to find episodes that I haven't seen before because I just don't know what what ones I've missed. And so when this came up in some research where I'm looking for Christmas episodes of Twilight Zone, uh, this came up. Now, it happens just before Christmas vacation. And the whole idea is that the semester is over and he's done he's done at the semester break and he's not ready for this. And when, you know, the students are leaving, they're saying Merry Christmas. And he wants, he, when he goes to talk to the headmaster, he's kind of in a hurry because he wants to get back to back home by five o'clock so he can listen to Handel's Messiah on the radio. He gets home and he's contemplating suicide and he has a gun and he's almost ready to do it. And his, uh, when I started getting emotional was when, his housekeeper after he leaves and says, I don't want dinner. I'm not hungry right now. And she's like, okay. And so he leaves the room, says he's going to go take a nap and she starts cleaning up and she finds a bullet on his desk. And then she looks in the desk for where the gun is normally kept and realizes he's taken the gun and she starts getting really worried. And it's an emotional moment for her. It was an emotional moment for me too, watching her realize what's going on and I'm getting emotional too, watching him because he's feeling old. He's feeling unimportant. He is feeling as if he doesn't have purpose. He's feeling as if he doesn't have any validity and he has a really good speech. And I'm glad that they printed his speech here in, in, uh, the book that I I have here, Uh, the speech where he says to his housekeeper, he's expressing his emotions and how he feels as a teacher. He says, they all come and go like ghosts, faces, names, smiles, the funny things they said or the sad things or the poignant ones. I gave them nothing. I gave them nothing at all. Poetry that left their minds the minute they themselves left. Aged slogans that were out of date when I taught them. Quotations dear to me that were meaningless to them. I was a failure, Mrs. Landers, an abject, miserable failure. I walked from class. To class, an old relic teaching by rote to unhearing ears, unwilling heads. I was an abject, dismal failure. I moved nobody, I motivated nobody, I left no imprint on anybody. Now, where do you suppose I ever got the idea that I was accomplishing anything? And I am hearing that speech and I'm hearing other sentiment that he has that's similar to that. And I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it because I am a pastor and a writer and my, and I've been a teacher too. And so, uh, I'm in my writing. I, I feel like sometimes I i made no difference in this world. I have put out these stories and, and who cares? And I put out these podcasts and, and who cares? And, and I, I teach those kids every Sunday, but they're going to get older and they're not going to remember what they learned when they were in second and third grade. And I'm not going to lie. I have that feeling every once in a while. I don't like that feeling, but I do have that feeling every once in a while. I have to fight against it sometimes. I have to hold on to some of the things that I've gotten in the past, like a letter from a kid who just... Uh, was was touched by armor quest and and was excited by armor quest and who enjoyed learning about you know the armor of god from armor quest and and uh an, a facebook message that I got from a parent of a child who is no longer a child. They're a teenager now, actually they're in college now, but they were a teenager when they had uh, contacted me and they were do in the middle of something very, very hard and they were praying about it and they weren't getting the answer that they wanted to get. And they remembered something that I had said in class when they were in third or fourth grade. And so their mom sent me a message and said, I just wanted to let you know that you did make an impact and, and on, on their life, you know? And so the things he's saying here about, the quotations, the slogans, the poetry. And it just reminds me of my job as a pastor, teaching the Bible and and, and praying and hoping that this is something that will stick and that will... Be carried with them, and when you're a children's pastor, you, you you don't get the excitement that you get when you're a youth pastor. You know, when you're a youth pastor, you do these altar calls, and it is life changing stuff. That the kids are going up, they're they're dedicating their life, and it's it's big. And then you have the the baptisms and everything. And every year, I get to baptize like two or three kids because um, we don't baptize children very much. And so, but there's like thirty or forty you know teenagers who went to camp and now they want to get baptized, and and it's just the thing that I deal with and I, I have to force myself to change my mindset. And sometimes it's easier than other times and, and change my mindset, mindset and stop looking down, stop looking at my feet in the miry clay, but keep looking up and realizing, you know, I may not have all the, the glamor and the glory of a youth pastor or, you know, even more a teaching pastor or a head pastor, you know, I'm, I'm just the children's pastor. But anyway, uh, all that aside, um, that's not what we're here for. You know, we are here to live a life where we love God and serve him only and love our neighbor as ourself. And, and again, it kind of goes back to that. And I also, you know, the, the teaching and the writing that all kind of gets wrapped up in that. And, you know, now you're, gonna hear you know you've heard all these things about my insecurities and everything i am and can be a very insecure person um you know i i I don't know if i hide it well sometimes but i feel like i do sometimes but anyway i also hope i'm being transparent here as i'm talking with you just about what i was thinking about as i was watching this episode and i'm not gonna lie i was getting choked up now later on there is that that uh supernatural twist to things that paranormal twist to things maybe paranormal maybe his imagination who knows the the christmas bells start ringing and um he finds himself in a classroom and he finds himself confronted with students who have died in the war and they are you know they're there to talk to him about what he did for them and i don't feel as bad um giving away the ending there really maybe should have played the spoiler organ but this is not as great of an episode as the other two I feel like this is definitely kind of in, you know, if you're doing a a scale of thumbs up, thumbs down this is definitely a thumbs up episode but it's on the lower end of of the thumbs up episodes, even though it did emotionally affect me and I got a lump in my throat as I was watching this episode, so anyway that is The changing of the guard, but here is the main event. Here is the thing that I was so surprised by, and that was a carol for another Christmas. Okay, so I find a carol for another Christmas to be fascinating. As you saw when we were going through the list on Wikipedia of different Christmas Christmas carol adaptations, when we came across that one, we we were all kind of, well, that's interesting because Rod Serling, right? Then to find out that it was on HBO Max and I could watch it because I had a subscription to that. And I was just, I, I gotta watch this. And it is fascinating. It is a TV movie that aired without any uh commercials. It was sponsored by Xerox, but it was commissioned by the United Nations. And it's a very obvious, like this is a in some ways a commercial for why the United Nations f- should exist. Uh, Basically, the thesis behind this whole movie is that we need to talk. We shouldn't stop talking. We need to talk amongst each other and we need to uh, settle our conflicts with with talk. We need to be able to get to know our enemy. And uh, your main character is not Scrooge. His name is Grudge, but um, he actually then his son is Marley and his son died in war and uh his there is a uh a cratchit kind of character who shows up and makes the case for the United Nations and makes the case for international communication and it's very much a 2 hour episode and you know when the twilight zone went to 1 hour long episodes for for a season It wasn't the most successful season that they had. And they went back to half an hour after that. This does feel like it's just a lot of words. There is a lot of words, but it's still very visual. I think the budget that they worked with was $4 million and, or or something around there. But whatever the budget was, a lot of the people who worked on this project worked on it for, for free or very, very reduced rates. So anyway the movie does feel like a twilight zone movie. It feels bigger than your typical twilight zone episode because there was more money behind it, but also because there was an actual film director behind it, Joseph Mankiewicz, who the year before had worked on Cleopatra, which was not very successful and, uh, lost a lot of money and he lost a lot of his reputation with that. So he gets on board with this project and Rod Serling gets on board with this project and I just get the feeling that Rod Serling is just in his element he's able to take a proto twilight zone story with the with the christmas carol and he's able to take that and and turn it into this modern thing that's about the cold war and it's about it really is about war I mean everything that grudge sees when he goes to the past and when he goes to the present and when he goes to the future, then has to do with war and has to do with conflict resolution. And there's a lot of pontificating about conflict resolution and about, um, you know, should we go to war? Should we not go to war? Should we be involved on an international stage? Or should we just take care of ourselves behind our own borders, behind our own fences? And so when he goes to the past, he sees soldiers who are, you know, they've died and they're on the way to whatever is next for them. And he uh, in, is able to also go and see the after effects of Hiroshima when, and because Apparently at Christmas some years ago, he was there to visit and to find out information about what happened afterward. And there's this really haunting scene where you have a bunch of Japanese children who had survived the bomb, but who had, uh, severe burns and and radiation from, from the bomb. And, you know, he has to face up to that. And he, with the, with the ghost of Christmas present, so to speak, uh, There's a a whole lot of of, uh, just Rod Serling pontificating about consumerism and about the poor and about the rich and about the affluent and about how, you know, you don't think about the starving when you're sitting down to this meal. And there's some really... Strong writing from rod Serling uh, in in all of this, but it 's also very much you know coming from his liberal political background and it's it's very much him preaching to the audience and and then you have the future, which is this dystopia that is just focused on the me, focused on the individual. And basically you have a group of people who are saying, Hey, we are going to uh work with each other until we kill everyone else, and then we'll kill each other, you know. And so it's kind of this gentleman's agreement to you know not be too selfish right now and not be too self focused right now we'll wait and and focus on self when it's a little bit more convenient for us to do so and and so this character grudge he goes through all of this and he comes out of it a changed man uh, again it's it's the scrooge thing but it's not quite as extreme as scrooge and the final scene is just a haunting scene for me. Uh, It's something that stuck with me when he comes and he is a new man, sort of, he is not really (laughs) too new. He's not jumping around and he's not throwing money at the United Nations to like get, get that thing started, you know, but he is more thoughtful and it's a natural transformation. And I don't want to give too much more away, although I don't think that I, I I think that what I've said doesn't give away too much because there is just a lot of performances and power in this show. Again, it kind of triggered within me just a... Uh, emotional response to what they were trying to say, what Rod Sterling was trying to say about the power and the importance of the United Nations. And there are a lot of things that can be said about the United Nations for good and for ill, but the driving force, or at least the driving force that they said that they were being motivated by was communication and Connecting with your enemy instead of conflicting with your enemy and trying to understand each other and trying to stand together and and trying to stop the war before the war has a chance to happen and try to stop things before we have to send our young men over to battle and to die in places that they would never have visited before. And so, while politically I may not agree with everything that that Rod Serling has to say, a lot of the moral stuff that he's talking about in all of these episodes, but in this one, uh, this Carol for Another Christmas, I I connect with it. And, and I appreciate it. And it's the kind of thing that I used to teach in my class or try to teach in my class when I taught in public school. And it's the kind of thing that I try and teach in my class about, you know, turning the other cheek and loving your neighbor as yourself when I'm teaching, you know, kids uh, at church and when I'm teaching my own children. And it's something that I try to live out. And it's it's something that, again, it, it connected with me. And it's also then this interesting political and historical artifact where you get to see uh, what they were trying to do it was basically propaganda united nations propaganda and i guess they made four I, I did look into this a little bit i guess they made four of these films and they started work on a fifth that never got finished and there was intended to be six total and i don't know if it was as successful as they they hoped it would be but this is a powerful piece of Christmas cinema. And I feel like I will probably be revisiting this. This might be an every year kind of thing. It's not the kind of thing that I, you know, love and enjoy as much as, uh, say, you know, a Muppets Christmas Carol, but, uh, Rod Serling is a creator who I would probably put him up there with as far as influences go with your with a George Lucas, with Gene Roddenberry, with Jim Henson, with these big names who had a strong influence on me as a young creative. And who continue to have an influence on me as an old creative. And there are other names I could throw in there, and there are, you know, are some names that, you know, when I was young, they were an influence, and now they aren't so much. But Rod Sterling definitely is one of those people. And I really love being able to discover something new this year. And I have a feeling that I'm going to start a rotation of Twilight Zone. Already I was watching the Night of the Meek. And it's five characters in search of an exit. I was watching them not every Christmas, but often at Christmas time. This is something that I think will enter into that rotation, this quartet of Christmas stories that three of them are twilight zone. And one of them is twilight zone adjacent. And I just really enjoyed discovering this. So I would recommend it. Even if you, you know, don't hear this episode until after Christmas, uh, go ahead and and check it out. I think it is the kind of thing that we've broken out into, you know, is it something that you watch because it's great or is it something you watch because it's homework? This might be a sci-fi homework kind of thing because it's, a uh, you know, if it's, political and historical um, background there, then you also have the whole idea of, you know, it's Rod Serling and, you know, just the fact that it's a Christmas Carol, you know, I could see saying, you know, I will recommend this, As homework, but I also recommend it as just it it was good and I enjoyed it and I I liked watching it and I enjoyed taking the time in the last few days watching these three Twilight Zone episodes and then this this movie that is not a Twilight Zone movie but it kinda is (laughs) it kinda is this is the Twilight Zone movie that. You know, like you say, this is the son I never had. And then you have the other person standing there. What about me? Well, you're the son I did have, you know, the Twilight Zone movie we did have. It's okay. It's it's solidly okay. But this movie, it's directed by a director with a long, long list of, of, of credits and it has actual Hollywood pedigree, you know, has done uh, successful movies and unsuccessful ones. But... Directed by a feature director. It's a feature length movie. Lots of moral speechifying. It's simple. But it does have a bigger budget. And bigger sets. and Some strong visuals. Even though they're clearly on a sound stage. There's some really strong visuals going on. There's Cold War messaging. This is the Twilight Zone movie. That we never got. And that we wanted. Or that we didn't know we wanted. But it turns out after seeing it. It is something (laughs) that I wanted. And I really want to see more of Rod Serling's non Twilight Zone stuff. I've never seen Requiem for a a heavyweight. And that is a, you know, he won awards for that, that, that TV movie. I really want to be able to get a chance to check that out sometime. And there's some books that he's written where it's, it's just short stories or novellas that I would love to read. I actually bought one, finally saw one in the wild, at half price books. I've looked at some, uh, on, on uh ebay and they're they they're, they're not cheap they're they're not super expensive but they're more expensive than I, I would like to buy but i did see this at half price books and i was like ah, i'm gonna i'm gonna get that and it has three stories in it two of them were turned into night gra- gallery episodes and so yeah so this was what he did after twilight zone he may have been working on it during twilight zone but this came out after twilight zone had been canceled and then from here he went on and did you know planet of the apes and he did night gallery and he did zero hour for uh the radio and he just did the narration for that he didn't do any writing on that from what i understand um at least i don't remember them mentioning his name for any of the the writing it was always kind of famous books or best-selling books that were turned into five-part episodes uh, based on these books. And I don't remember his name ever be mentioning as uh adaptation um, with, with night gallery. He did write some of those episodes and uh, yeah. So he, he did go on to do more stuff, but this is, you know, this was just a fun, fun discovery for me. Not the funnest thing to watch because of the, the subject matter. Although when you get into the future, especially there's some really wild performances happening there. So Anyway, all that to say, I sought this out, I found it, and I enjoyed it. And now I have a new quartet of Christmas to view next year without my children. (laughs) I invited them to watch Twilight Zone with me. They were not interested. So, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's okay. So with all that said, I want to invite you to join us over on YouTube at youtube.com slash strangers and aliens where I have some other episodes there about other books and uh, I have an episode about the, the Christmas Carol and my appreciation of that. But also please make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch podcasts and make sure you'll never miss another episode. And yeah, I really don't have much to say beyond that other than Merry Christmas Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. You've been listening to Shadows and Substance, a Strangers and Aliens podcast series, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve McDonald, and Evan David. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join the conversation by visiting our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangers and, and as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed. Santa Claus wrong here, man.